Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market... Monetary metals is unlocking the productivity of gold, but the Fed has unlocked the undead to feast on our economy. So we're dedicating the entire month of October to discuss zombies. Our fearless leader, Keith, will demystify the Federal Reserve's Frankensteins with top zombie experts from around the globe. Will zombies take over our economy? Does anyone at the central bank even have a brain to feast on? Will Powell have what it takes to defeat the zombie horde? Or is it all over but the show? Your only hope to find out is here on the Gold Exchange Podcast. (laughs) Everyone, welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Nadelstein. I am joined, as always, by founder and CEO of Monetary Metals, Keith Wiener. Today, we are going to be joined by world-famous, or soon-to-be-world-famous, researcher Maximilian Goebel. Max, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, your history, and specifically why we're having you on the podcast this month for our zombie month. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, Hey, Keith. Thanks for for having me on, first of all. Um, My name is Max. I'm a uh, PhD student in economics. Um, I'm officially enrolled at the University of Lisbon. Uh, I'll be graduating by the end of the year. And um, yeah, my research has over the years focused on many different things. Uh, and one of these are zombies actually. Um, and yeah, why did we do that? Well, it's probably a bit of a yeah longer story or just random. Um, me and my co-author Nuno, uh, we were just chatting and um, he basically works for sort of a um, hybrid think tank or institution between the uh, finance department or the treasury, the Portuguese treasury and the Portuguese uh, Ministry of uh, Economic Affairs. So he had some insights into what's going on in the economy and uh, zombie lending is a big thing in Portugal, actually. There's some studies out there as we will learn later on. And um, he brought it up and I thought, hey, that's cool. That sounds nice. And um, yeah, we have this data on uh, on um, on U.S. firms, and that was the beginning of 2021. And you know, COVID hit. Um, there were all these um, programs, government programs, um, then also monetary policy um, by the Fed, all these interventions. And we thought, hey, is what's going on probably some zombie landing is involved there um let's have a look and uh, we did our research and apparently there was not much on zombie landing on in the united states overall and yeah that kept us going and um mm-hmm. we want we thought hey let's have a look if zombie landing is a big is at least is this is a thing or not and then let's dig it deeper that's how we started off well, Max, let me let me start here. Let's break it down for the the lay person. What is a zombie company? Because when I think of zombies, I think of you know horror movies of these kind of undead, scary people. But in economics and in business, zombies are actually something different. So why don't you break down first the broadest definition? What is the zombie corporation? What is zombie lending? And then maybe even a narrower or more technical definition. That, that distinction is absolutely necessary here. Um, so as you in the beginning, I didn't know anything about zombies or zombie landing. Um, but yes, yeah, so zombie is basically a firm that is non-viable, that is unprofitable and that only lives on or only does not um, exit the market because it's kept alive 
by certain certain funding that it receives either by a banks or by the capital market. Um, that's basically a zombie firm, a zombie firm that a firm that is unprofitable, but that is uh, still um, operating even though under normal conditions or actually it should be out of business. Um, now, profitability is like, yeah, it's a shaky definition, I would say. So it might, someone might have a different definition than another guy. So the technical definition is really, really, um, let's say ambiguous at times. So there are many definitions out there. There's no consensus in the literature about a technical definition, or this is the technical definition that is non-existent. Uh, many define a firm as a zombie if it received subsidized loans, that's in the form, um, not by a specific government program per se, but rather by um, that a loan has um, cheaper refinancing conditions, cheaper, uh, yeah, finer refinancing conditions than um, basically the refinancing conditions of those firms that um, are the most healthy in the sector. So basically the top rate that a firm receives um, a loan with low refinancing conditions than the top rated firms in the sector. This is one uh, definition. Other definitions um, basically say, well, it's um, low profitability. That is, it cannot pay its interest expenses um, for a certain number of years. And um, that is another definition. That's a definition that we use, for example, um, but there are many, many caveats with that. And it also uh, really depends on the data that you have at hand, the data that you observe. I think this is an empirical research. This is a crucial point here. Um, and yeah, so this is really defining a zombie is not an easy task. And you may run into many diff uh, issues and you may run into many, uh, let's say, results that you had not expected uh, before. Yeah, I think that's pretty close to how the BI, the Bank for International Settlements, says it's when profits are less than interest expense, and for a certain period of time, and it's not one of those firms that just has explosive upside, you know, like a high tech, high growth firm that could break out of the whole thing by growing, you know, hundred times. It's kind of mired down. It's stuck, and um, profits less than interest expense, and so um, you know, how does the exactly. thing survive? Exactly, exactly, Keith. No, that's a good point because that's actually the definition that we use also from the Bank of International Settlements. So there's one definition um, and the Bank of International Settlements or economists there said, well, if you use that definition, you're actually disregarding those companies that might have a, a nice future outlook, growth, growth companies, let's say, that have a bright um, or that have good... Um, yeah, future outlook, and you may not incorporate or you may incorporate that, those in your definition, even though those are actually not zombies. And that's why they, yeah, sort of try to account for this possibility. And we in our research adopt the same definition there. Um, that's a very good point. And this is already one indication of how difficult it is really to, to define or to classify a firm as a zombie. I, I think there's two things that uh, can be said to that. One, the BIS on every graph that I've seen when they publish the percentage of zombie corporations also publishes right over overlaid on the same graph. The blue line shows what percentage of zombies are escaping zombie status 
but what percentage are stuck in the same status? And the vast majority of them uh, stay zombies. They don't, they don't get out. Um, the other uh, comment, just in, uh, in listening to the, uh, so you talk about the other definition uh, being that they get a lower rate of capital than healthy companies. The uh, thing I read a lot about is that the interest rate structure has been falling for four decades. So, um, they, you know, one company may get a lower interest rate than another company at the same time, but they're all getting lower interest rates than, um, uh, you know, than companies used to. And there's a, there's a subsidy effect, even if there isn't one company subsidized relative to another, the entire interest rate structure has come down. Um, and of course, now they're trying to reverse that, but I think we can talk about that a little bit today and uh, what that might mean for zombie land and, uh, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, Max, I had a question there. So let's say, you know, I'm a zombie company, I'm zombie corp. And, you know, I, I've, I've really met the, the real technical definition, the narrow definition where, you know, there's, there's really no hope for growth. And then all of a sudden, I, I, you know, have a great windfall. Is it possible to ever recover from zombie status? Or is it really, well, once you're a zombie, it's, it's pretty much back to the grave for you. Can zombies ever recover or is it, is it terminal? Yeah. yeah, good question. Um, no, that's actually the case. Again, it depends on the definition that you apply in the beginning. Um, and in our research, we, for example, really try to account for, for, for those. So we don't really want to include zombies in the first place that may eventually recover. So we don't want to allow, or in our research, we didn't want to allow for that possibility. Because in the end, if a firm recovers, then lending to that firm might have been justified in the first place. And we were not interested in that. Um, we were really like interested in those this, this misguided landing, basically. However, um, the Bank for International Settlements, um, they really have a lot of research on that. And um, depending on the definition that they, they use, there are actually zombies that do recover and actually, actually not, a, not a negligible chunk of zombies recovers. However, if they recover, they're either underperforming relative to non-zombies. So they have lower investment, they have lower profitability, lower employment growth, or they transition again back into zombie status after a while. Um, so they are really not like the, yeah, the rising stars afterwards after uh, coming out of the zombie status. So they're at, uh, yeah, at the hovering around at the threshold, let's say. Yeah, so they're kind of like these recovering, recovering zombie addicts, you know, like there, there's light at the end of the tunnel, maybe, but, you know, your liver is permanently damaged and, you know, you, you might go back to the, to the zombie status. So, so they're exactly. permanently weakened. Let me ask you another question. In terms of the zombies and their impact on the rest of the healthy economy, do they have any impact or, you know, can we stay far enough away that they're not going to, you know, feast on the healthy part of the economy? So that's basically the, um, the essence of our research that we tried to address. So are there spillover effects of zombie landing on the healthy firms or not? Um, and what we find is actually, so two things on that. Actually, we find there are spillover effects. So um, in sectors that have higher share of zombie landing, basically healthier firms or healthy firms are negatively impacted. So in terms of productivity, in terms of employment growth, and in terms of investment. However, the effects are not as widespread, I would say, like not as uh, clear cut as they are in other parts of the world. Um, 
for example, in Europe. Europe is a really special case in, in, with zombies. Um, so we find spillover effects, but they're not that really prevalent, let's say. Um, and we find these effects only to occur among small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, not when you look at the whole, we, we are looking at publicly listed uh, companies, so we're having the computer data sample, computer data sample basically. And um, when you look at all firms, we don't find any effects. But when we zoom in into the small and medium sized enterprises, uh, then we find these. So these are basically um, the victims of the, of the zombie lending. They have to suffer um, from zombie lending activities. Um, yeah, and yeah, I can talk to that. There's some interesting findings um, also from, from other studies by the Bank of International Settlements that also directly speak to the small and medium-sized companies. Keith, how does that yeah. how does that jive with the kind of credit gradient idea that you're talking about, where these small and medium-sized companies, they kind of have a harder time getting into this cycle, and the kind of larger companies have this kind of pool of, of credit that's been tilted their way? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Uh, and listening to Max, that um, obviously, or should be obvious, that every resource used by a zombie is therefore not being used by a healthy company. So there is some sort of, you know, economics calls it crowding out or out competing for resources or whatever. You know, every person that is employed, when a zombie is a wealth destroying or wealth consuming enterprise, um, that may not be a good definition, but that is definitely what it's doing. And so every resource that's employed in this wealth destroying uh, enterprise is not being used to create wealth somewhere else. And um, so Max, I've written uh, about this idea of a credit gradient. That is like, even in a free market and healthy economy, there's, there's a tilting of the playing field. That is the mom and pop companies and the you know, early stage startups over here you know, pretty high and dry. If you think of this as a pool with has a certain amount of water in it and the um, major corporations are on the other end that have much greater access to much larger amounts of capital and much lower interest rates. But when the interest rate is, is falling, it's not falling equally and you get a tilting effect where the biggest companies are, are just flooded. They're just drowning in more and more and more excess credit that there's nothing they can really productively do with it, but the early stage companies, the mom and pops are even more sticking out of the water and just completely dehydrated. And so I think that meshes with what you just said, it's the small to medium, but also in that category, I would put high growth, which is really the future of the economy, right? So take monetary metals, for example, um, depending on the metric you use, you might say, oh yeah, standard SME, right? We're 21 employees, we're this, we're that, and we don't quote our revenue publicly, but we'd be pretty solidly within SME, you know, category. But I would really bristle if someone says, oh, a small business like yours, we don't consider ourselves to be the equivalent of, you know, a restaurant, you know, a chain of three or four restaurants in, you know, the East Valley of Phoenix, or, um, you know, uh, a small, um, you know, a motel or whatever. There's something very different about us, which is we have, um, you know, very high growth potential as, as a global enterprise, yeah. but we would be starved of capital the same way, you know, any, any high growth company would be starved of capital the same way that more conventional SME would be starved. And um, so, you know, how do, how do you measure that? I don't know if there is a way to measure that kind of spillover, 
Um, what I can say right now is that um, you know, if you read what's what's coming out of Silicon Valley, the venture capitalists are all telling their uh, portfolio companies that they should um, you know cut their uh, spend and make sure they have 24 months of runway because you're not getting any more capital. For, assume you're not getting any more capital for 24 months. So obviously there are companies that were just planning on going out to raise capital right now and they're screwed. Um, and there's other companies that are gonna do a lot less um, you know, impact on the world than they would have and could have because they're being starved. Is that the area that you wanna starve in order to keep feeding some bloated dinosaur you know, zombie company? Um, probably not if you sat down and asked that as a policy question, but it's sort of a consequence of, uh, anyways, I, I didn't mean to monopolize it, but then asked a question very near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the fair point. And we were um, asked, like, hey, it affects like some lending mostly, or you find some lending to affect mostly small and medium-sized enterprises. Well, does that really have that huge impact uh, then on the aggregate? And um, well, well, in our research, we don't, we cannot answer that. But I would just conjecture or also say that small and medium-sized enterprises are, for example, especially in Germany, the backbone of the economy and um, even though in the United States it might be different, I cannot say I cannot say too much about that because yeah, I don't know that much about that. But um, I would suggest, or I would say that well, it may not be overlooked. So there's something going on, and trying to figure out what that impact might be in the end, that's actually something that we would like to see in future research and and do ourselves. Like absolutely that's the goal or the next step actually coming up because i think this is this is really crucial it's not the big corporations it's not the wall street basically that runs the economy it's also much more the, the smaller medium-sized companies that yeah may not be overlooked and i think research is also looking in into the small medium-sized enterprises much more in recent years that's absolutely true we had a guest on um i guess a couple of months ago uh ben i don't remember if you were the one who um was on the podcast with me or if it was uh, Ben's colleague Dixon. Uh, but we had an economist named Per Byland um, who wrote a book called the, the Seen, the Unseen, and the Unrealized. So everybody, uh, I hope, uh, should be familiar with Bastiat, who wrote about the unseen, that you know, you give a subsidy to this party, and that basically means you're taking away from this party over here. And of course, the government redirects everybody's attention or misdirects everybody's attention, sleight of hand with a flourish and a flash with a cape and maybe a little bit of uh, flash powder, and everyone's looking over here, look how great this is, we've given this person this subsidy. Meanwhile, we've deprived this person of his you know, livelihood, but um, which is all true. And then uh, Pear takes it um, one step farther and talks about the unrealized, largely in the context of um, like regulation and how you know, regulation means that certain creative new business ideas never come to market in the first place because you can never raise enough capital to pay the lawyers to you know, come up with a solution or whatever. But I think the same thing would be true here. If early stage high growth potential companies are starved, you know, what's the impact on the economy? Well, it doesn't, doesn't change GDP today in any meaningful percentage uh, of GDP, but that's where your future GDP growth comes from. Um, but how, how do you, there is no way to measure that because it's something that by definition doesn't exist did not come into existence. How do you measure the unrealized? Um, True. If you yeah. could, if you as an economist could measure that, 
you should get a Nobel Prize, in my opinion, um, because that's a that's a hard one. We'll talk to that's the Nobel Committee yeah, and get Max <laughs> get Max get Max's award. Well, Max, okay, let me let me ask about this. Um, we're talking a lot about these kind of dynamics, the unseen, the unrealized. So I think one of the terms you used in your paper was this kind of market dynamism is dying. Um, why is that? What, what about these zombies kind of makes them sticky? I know, you know, Schumpeter might come back from his grave and, and start haunting us if we, if we don't talk about this. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's actually um, what Keith just mentioned. I mean, um, there's, there's this crowding out effect of zombies, basically, or zombies take away some chunk of capital that could be used to much more. So the capital misallocation that could be capital that could be used much more efficiently, much more productively, if it was given to startups, to innovative firms. And um, by keeping these zombies in the market, it hampers basically um, the business dynamism, the cleansing effect of the economy, like entry and exit dynamics. Um, this is also because zombies are parking productive labor. Um, they keep wages basically elevated, um, slightly elevated um, relative to um, the case if they were exiting. Um, there's some short run benefits of having zombies there. Um, maybe I can talk to, I don't wanna take um, uh, too much to the front now. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but absolutely, there are these long uh, run costs then to that. If um, there, there's less entry of innovative, productive firms and we keep all these zombies floating around in the economy, yeah, it's really dragging down on productivity and that's the consensus in literature. This is also why the literature tries to dis yeah, look into these effects and try to figure out what's going on. Um, and yeah, that's basically the story. So that this business dynamism, this cleansing effect and engine of economic growth actually is congested by, by keeping zombies afloat. Yeah, I know we talk about, and Keith talks about specifically a lot, there's this kind of short-term effect, which might seem positive, but it's actually masking this long-term negative symptom. I, I know we talk about, for example, if, we, if our only objective was to kind of maybe lower consumer prices, you might want to lower the interest rate instead of um, raising it, which is like what we're doing now. So Keith, what, what do you think about that? There's this kind of effect for the zombies, apparently, that you know, in the short term, it's actually helpful. They're employing people, they're maybe keeping high wages. It actually looks good on the surface level, but in the long term, the more of these zombies you have, it's actually a, a really negative thing for growth. Yeah, they're the, and, and um, having a downward pressure on consumer prices because these zombie companies are producing things. I mean, they're at a loss, but right. that, their loss is essentially the subsidy of the consumer to consume more. Um, and so, you know, it has the appearance by all the conventional, um, you know, econometric type statistics, GDP, wages, employment, it all looks good. Um, how can you, how can you complain? What is it, what is there to complain about? Um, and you take that firm out, right? Suddenly some jobs go away, some production of whatever consumer goods goes away, um, you know, prices go up, employment goes down, the wage ticks down rather than ticking up. Um, you know, everyone's gonna say, if you're a politician who says, I'm gonna slay the zombies, uh, I'm not sure you get any voters for that, but if you did, they would all abandon you the moment you actually started implementing your program. They would say he's wrecking the economy. Um, GDP is going down. Look at that, and wages are going down. And um, you know your opponents would have a field day with you and the you know political stump. 
exactly. So I think there are really these short run, this, this trade-off between short-run benefits, especially from an elected politician side uh, point of view, and then the, the long-run costs to that. And um, especially as Keith was mentioning, um, there's this one study um, by Ashari and co-authors, um, professor at the um, New York like Stern School of Business at New York University, um, who found that actually zombification in Europe um, um, imposed deflationary pressures. So um, the inflation, like inflation was 0.4% lower um, in the aftermath of 2014, the aftermath of the uh, European sovereign debt crisis um, because of zombification. So now probably people would like that. Um, but um, yeah, this is one of the few macro impacts that the uh, yeah that the empirical research has uh, come up with. So it's interesting. It's yeah, absolutely what Keith has already alluded to. Well, about about this kind of macro view and the zombies. So we're now you know <laughs> maybe by the time everyone is seeing this, we might not be, but but we're we're now in an environment where there's you know this attempt for you know a, a rate hikes. We're gonna do it. We're gonna make it all the way to the top. Uh, I think everyone, everyone who's watched the podcast kind of knows sarcasm dripping from my voice. Um, we, we've kind of discussed why we think this dynamic, this falling interest rate dynamic will have to continue. But Keith, so now let's talk about in the short term right now, we're in this raising of rate environment. What, what is this going to do to, let, let alone zombie companies, but what about even the healthy parts of the economy, this kind of rising rate environment? What are we looking at? I mean, I know we're not allowed to say the word recession here, so maybe we're in a banana. Well, uh, we're not exactly sure what's going on uh, in the economy. Speaking of, you know, things that are hard to define. Um, but so, what is the effect of rising rates? And, and Max, what do you think might be the rising effect uh, on on zombies? Obviously, I mean, it's the definition of zombie is a company whose profits are less than their interest expense. Um, and maybe less obvious, but most companies are borrowing pretty short term. Uh, and they, they plan on rolling the liabilities, I'm sure a bit longer after 2008, because they, they kind of got burned by that. So there's a lot of borrowing short to finance long assets and not just in the banking sector, which means that as interest rates are going up, their interest expense is going up. Zombie is profits less than interest expense. What happens to all the companies who had profits greater than interest expense, but not by a very large amount, only by a small amount? And their interest expense goes up a lot, well, suddenly, the, the, the water line has moved up and now they're suddenly drowning they're underwater. Um, and, um, you know, we keep hiking interest rates and bringing more and more firms under the, uh, you know, the zombie, uh, you know, threshold. Uh, that would be the first, first thought that comes to my mind. What, what do you think, Max? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are the dynamics um, that I think will play out. I think that also the, the Fed tries to play out like yeah just to bring inflation down they want to tighten financial conditions and um, that's the way the playbook works and um, unfortunately some firms will suffer from that but um, I think as hard as it sounds but that's the cleansing mechanism that has been hampered for quite a while especially over after the great recession I would say and that now probably gets uh, like gets going again and in the long term that may just yeah, just in the long term or mid to long term, that may um, give us more productivity. And especially the discussion in the US, I guess, is right now very hot about the productivity slowdown over the recent decades. And um, maybe now 
this cleansing mechanism as hard as it might be for many people will actually have some long-term benefits. Yeah, if you could, if you could wipe out the zombies um, and then you know return to a higher rate of interest, the savers could actually save. Um, but the question is, can high, can higher interest rates, you know, just selectively target the zombies and leave everything out like a neutron bomb? You just press this button and magically this this one's dead and this one's dead. But you know, these, can, can you do that if you're the Fed and you just have one one knob? Yeah, right. No, that's hard hard, hard to believe. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I mean, that your friend has a mosquito buzzing around and lands on his head. And the only thing you have is a 15 pound sledgehammer. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there will be some some casualties, <laughs> some casualties that are our, uh, yeah, that you try to avoid. But yeah, I mean, you, yeah, there will be some that fall victim to that interest rate hike. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, in the end, unfortunately, I think there's just no other way to to get the current problem of, of very high inflation rates under control. Um, I think the US learned that the hard way, like in the 80s. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, history sometimes repeats may repeat itself. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think the analogy might be that, you know, Jerome Powell is hunting zombies with a shotgun. But, you know, there are human beings near the zombies. And I don't know if you know how shotguns work, but they're not like sniper rifles. They kind of have this spraying effect. And so it seems like on the hunt for zombie heads, we might actually be nicking a couple of people, some healthy people on the way. So I, I, it seems, you know, you mentioned this kind of playbook. They really have no choices. And Keith, you mentioned, you know, the Fed just kind of has this one knob and uh, it's not really accurate. It's just kind of this one signal that they can send to markets and and, you know, with, with these one meetings or these one pronouncements, the entire economy can kind of shift from healthy to unhealthy. The waterline can go from, you know, still breathing, but, you know, almost under to, you know, way under and, and, and drowning. So do you think that, Max, do you think that there's this kind of effect where with the higher prevalence of zombies, the harder it is to actually conduct this playbook of monetary policy? Because policymakers are saying, listen, I mean, we know what we have to do, but it, it's going to be all the harder because these zombies are employing people, they're keeping wages high. So it, with this prevalence of zombies, is there actually kind of a, a, a sticking effect on what would be otherwise their regular playbook on monetary policy? It's, I would say it's, it's, it's difficult to, to, for the Fed to, to find the right gear, let's say, to find the right direction there. But in the end, I think the, the Fed has to be clear on what it tries to achieve in the end. Does it, does it want to lose its credibility, which would be, I think, an incredible mistake to do that. Uh, I think credibility is key for any central bank. Um, so it should stick to its mandate. And the mandate is, well, inflation, low unemployment and good economic growth. If I get the, the wording is incorrect, but I think I got these like two, three pillars there, right? Just keep saying so and, 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 and you yeah, know, right. they'll add one more thing to the, exactly. their exactly. responsibilities. It's statutory mandate is, is two. It's um, stable purchasing power of the money, which they define as, as a relentless chronic 2% inflation. So George Orwell would be um, either proud or angry, depending on uh, your perspective. And the other is um, uh, full employment. They don't full have employment. any. They don't have any kind of GDP or growth mandate, but they have a full employment mandate and a price stability mandate. Right, which might. I mean, maybe keeping that in mind, maybe zombies are a problem for them. But again, when we talk about this kind of short-term and long-term dynamics, 
actually maybe zombies aren't that much of a problem for them, right? Like in the short term, the things that they're concerned with, you know, zombies don't actually hurt. They might even might even help. Uh, Max, I, but I, I want to ask you something because I was reading your papers and I found this very interesting and I want to get Keith's take on it. So you looked at the kind of prevalence of zombies and zombie lending in different countries. Can you give me a breakdown? Because at first thought, you know, my bias, I came and I said, oh my gosh, the, the U.S. is going to be, you know, like a zombie horde. They're going to be everywhere. And, you know, the, the Europeans, they're so smart, you know, they, they'll, they'll never allow some, some crazy zombie lending. They're, they're much, you know, smarter over there. I think anyone with an accent, I just kind of automatically assume that they're a genius. But when I looked at your paper, you said actually that the U.S. is in a stronger position to kind of uh, fight off these zombies and is in a healthier spot than maybe some other countries like Europe and Japan. That really surprised me. Can you break down why that is? That's very interesting, absolutely. Um, because actually it's the other way around. Like in the United States, as you said, um, it seems that zombie landing from prevalence is not as much of a deal as in Europe. And the key things that the literature here um, tries to justify it with is basically that um, it all has to do with um, um, basic, basically that the United States is much more efficient in um, um, in, in, in their, or the United States insolvency regime is much more efficient than the, that in Europe, for example. Like when, a, when the firm files for bankruptcy in Europe, um, it is much less frequently um, um, restructured as it is the case in the United States. Um, this is the key institutional difference that literature always refers to. Another thing is that probably some, or in some way, that um, the incentives for banks are different to, to lend to firms are a bit different, are, are probably much more misaligned in Europe than they are in the United States. So this relationship lending, evergreening, even though there's recently, especially from the Fed, some research coming out that evergreening is actually quite a big problem also in the United States. But um, most of the research has, has that um, um, basically linked to zombie lending in Europe. Um, so the basic differences, I would say, are institutional differences, much more efficient insolvency uh, regime in the uh, United States, and probably some misaligned incentives in terms of bank lending um, in, in Europe. So that's, that's the case. Now how about, and, and, I was going to add to that, how about the freedom to lay off unneeded labor? If you can't lay off, then you could be a zombie. But if you could actually lay off those thousand people that are not really producing in that one division or one factory that's subpar, then you could avoid being a zombie by you know restructuring before you get long before you get to bankruptcy, restructure the business. Yeah, true. Um, that could be the case. I unfortunately don't know um, too much about that, um, but that's an interesting theory. I haven't read that in the literature yet, um, and yeah could absolutely be the case um that this is much more easy or efficient in the united states as well than it is in europe um i don't know too much about the labor contracts and the unions there um i would say that probably germany is much more unionized than uh, than the us so that could be there um, um a thing that plays into as well um yeah absolutely never thought about that Keith, I, I kind of want to see, and maybe you'll tell me where I'm wrong here, and, and I'm butchering the theory, but 
in this kind of dollar milkshake theory we've discussed on the podcast as well, there's this kind of idea, well, oh, you know, the, the Fed is going to lose credibility. The dollar is all going to tank. You know, it's just going to get inflated away tomorrow. And one of the dynamics that we kind of discuss and say, hey, the, it's a little more nuanced here. You might want to check this out is you got to look at the other currencies as well. It's not just, you know, in uh, a bubble, you have to look at, well, you know, look at the dollar. No, you have to look at the dollar kind of compared to these other currencies and these other economies and their banks as well. So how does this kind of idea with the zombie lending and the other countries jive with that theory? Does it jive at all? Does it make sense? Or do you think they're unrelated? Well, I think that um, if you're a firm in, let's say, Europe, your revenues are denominated in euros. But if you have gone to the capital markets and, and uh, taken on debt that's denominated in dollars, you have this mismatch. And if the dollar has gone up uh, in euro terms, which obviously it has in, in, uh, over the last year or so, um, you know, that could actually force you into zombiehood. Whereas e even if everything else were fine, just the mismatch between your asset and your liability could drag you, you know, into it. And of course, this is true the world over. It's, it's very often the liabilities denominated in dollars because it's a, rich, it's, a, it's a richer, deeper, more liquid capital pool than in any other currency. So you get um, you know, more attractive terms, you get more lenders competing for your business, whatever. And then if the, uh, you know, if the, if the currency par goes against you, um, so that's, that's, a, that's an effect that could create zombies elsewhere in the world that wouldn't be applicable to US firms because US firms obviously the revenues are dominated in dollars, so they don't have that mismatch. Um, you know, just as I think about your question, there's just so many little asymmetries and, per and perverse asymmetries that, you know, as you drill into it, you see things like that and say, well, yeah, that, you know, again, I don't know uh, if there's any data on that. I'd be interested uh, on what Max says about that, but um, that, that seems like that has to be a non-zero effect, if not necessarily a large effect, it would have to be non-zero. Um, yeah, good point, actually. Um, so I never, I never saw that in the literature saying like, well, that denominated in, in US dollars is really a big thing for the firms or the corporations there. Um, probably in emerging markets much more than it is in Europe. Um, I cannot speak to that, but that would just be like my initial, initial thought. Um, yeah, what do you but, do and you have US dollar denominated debt? Much exactly. worse if you're, you know, if you're in, in Europe, it's not something like Turkey. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that would, I think, like, emerging markets, as you say, then also also Turkey, for example, um, I think there are much or many unknown zombies down there. Um, um, yeah, for Europe, it's just, um, as you said, Ben, yeah, we were really surprised that there are so many zombies in Europe. Um, yeah, I think it's just institutional uh, business. It's also institutional differences. It's yeah, then you have to distinguish between bank-based system and a capital markets-based uh, system, based system meaning that more corporations go to the capital markets in the United States probably than and in Europe, they are much more bank dependent, for example. Um, so there might be some differences coming from there also. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, um, there are many factors that play into. And as you were just saying, like the, the currency, especially for emerging market economies, could also be a big factor there. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to ask you a question kind of based on your answer there. You said, listen, like, you, you never know, there might be some hidden zombies lurking in, in all these other countries. 
So let's talk about the actual state of the research. So are there tons of people researching zombies? Is this like the not the you know the new hot topic? Is it just you and, and Nuno kind of uh, out there with the sword investigating with the flashlight, kind of uh, going through the cobwebs? And let's also talk about the Federal Reserve. Are they worried about zombies? Are they kind of doing the hand waving? Is this a new phenomenon for them? Are they like, oh, you know, we've got this under control? Kind of give us a, an overview of the state of the research. So this is actually uh, something I, I have been wondering all along. Um, but my impression really is that uh, most studies, first of all, have only come out recently or have been published recently, like starting 2018, 19, now 20, 21, 22, uh, more and more studies coming out, um, mostly, however, on the European case. Um, so Europe is much more researched than, let's say, other parts. This, the seminal paper um, was actually um, in Japan from, or coming from Japan. People were looking at the case of Japan there the last decade. Um, that started it all off, but that was already in 2008. And then it took like researchers like 10 years to pick up on that for the European case, but it made sense. The European sovereign debt crisis started, so people were started to get interested in all that. Um, now, in terms of the United States, as you already said, there's not much research on that. That was also what kept us going. But um, yeah, the Federal Reserve um, thinks about it in much more than it seems to appear when you look at the literature, for example. Um, so there's one study out there that really looks at zombie landing. We're basically like coming out at the same time, but you have to admit that those guys, the federal the, uh, economists from the Fed were the first to really address that, uh, even though it was probably only a couple of months. First, but yeah, first, first is the worst, you know. Yeah, we have a saying here, first is the worst, second is the best. So actually, and, and that's a research term, that's technical. So you, you guys are doing great. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks, Ben. Uh, no, I don't want to take the credit for that. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just interesting also to to keep that exchange um, with the Federal Reserve. I think there's some very interesting insights that we can gain from that. But overall, the Federal Reserve really looks into it. But uh, my impression is, and um, that, yeah, the, and also what I, I had a few conversations with some people at the Fed, and they were saying we're looking into it. Um, but overall, the reception actually is that it's not a big deal in the United States. So prevalence is not much as we found, as the other study by the Fed found. It's not a, really of a big deal. Um, overall, it's not really widespread, not as big of concern in the, as in Europe. However, then you see studies by the Bank of International Settlements. And um, they find actually that the share of zombies is much higher than we find and what the Fed finds, for example. So they find, for example, in 2017, a share of 20% of publicly listed firms to be zombies. Again, this all plays into the definition, how do you define a zombie? Can make all the difference. Um, so overall, I think it's, it's really tricky. The consensus, what is my impression, the consensus is that it's not as much of a deal in the United States, which makes sense given the institutional differences. Um, so yeah, even though I think being dismissive about it is potentially something that you should not do. So um, yeah, that's that's the thing. And Keith, does that mean that, that it's gonna be more difficult because of these kind of differences by country to raise rates in other countries? So like, you know, looking at the US and Europe, let's say, well, you know, obviously Jerome Powell is staring down, let's say his 6% of the zombies. But if you go to Europe, 
they might be staring down, let's say, you know, 15% zombies. And for them to start raising rates, there's going to be a lot more bloodshed than in somewhere like the United States. Does that make sense, Keith? Yeah, I guess as a, as a relative amount of political pressure, ECB would be under greater pressure for sure. Um, you know, one thing that I've, I've said about central banks many times, it is the politicization of what should be a, a market function. And of course, you're going to have people lining up on both sides. You're going to have the anti-inflation camp, you know, crying for higher interest rates. Um, I actually argue, uh, Max, quite extensively that if you wanted lower consumer prices, you should want lower interest rates because it's a subsidy for firms to produce more. It's a, a subsidy. It's feeding the savers to the consumers through the producers and through zombie producers. So that's the perversity. But, but the conventional theory is higher rates for checking inflation. So you're going to have the anti-inflation camp, uh, you know, lobbying for higher interest rates. Then you're going to have the unions and the zombie firms. But it isn't just the zombie firms, right? This reaches up upstream. Those zombie firms have vendors that they buy stuff from. And all of their vendors have to be looking at it and saying, okay, that those zombie firms represent some percentage of my business. If that percentage of my business went away, I'd be a zombie. And then all the employees of the zombies, they buy things like cars and you know computers and toilet paper and everything else too. And if those people are laid off, now we have vast welfare states so people don't curtail their consumption as much as they would have um, you know, 100 years ago. But clearly, somebody who's making a six-figure salary you know, consumes more than somebody who's you know, subsisting on welfare. And um, you know, that means the car companies, just to, to take one, Apple, you know, to, to mention another, you know, suddenly their revenues are being hit. And all those consumers are making you know, payments on their credit cards and their cars and all kinds of other things. Suddenly their ability to make those payments is impaired. And then you, um, you know, the, the wave of, uh, of, I guess, dragging companies into insolvency, uh, you know, just spreads. Um, my personal take, I'm, I'm less optimistic than you, Max. Um, my personal take is that you can't, at this point, liquidate the zombies. First of all, the shotgun is, is, is spraying far too broadly. You're going to hit uh, a, a lot of others, but also just as it, it becomes like a series of dominoes, you know, one falling into another, falling into another, and it's going to ripple through. And nobody's prepared for not only just zombie to zombie to zombie, but also balance sheet impacts. So at what point do the banks then become, uh, you know, by any definition, technical otherwise, become insolvent? And the banks have to be wound up. And of course, their creditors are other banks. And, you know, where does it end? Um, you know, there's going to be a mass insolvency if they really are serious about, uh, you know, rising interest rates. Look what happened when they tried to hike rates in 2005, and that cost, you know, that cost 08. Now we have much greater amounts of leverage, um, much thinner margins just all around, and now they think they're going to be more serious about hiking rates now than they were in 2005. Uh, I, I don't think that's... Um, I don't think it's possible to do that and still preserve the system. I think something breaks in a, in a very fundamental way. So as soon as that, you know, heat starts to reach, um, you know, the Fed and the ECB in a way that they feel it, um, then you know they're going to reverse course, and it's only really a matter of when. That's my that's my view on it. 
Yeah, no, no, that's that's very interesting. And absolutely, this is the, the thing that when I get the question about the research that we did, well, it affects only small medium-sized enterprises. Well, is that really of a big impact? Well, with the supply chain troubles that we've experienced all along over the last two years, let's say, you don't know. I mean, um, yeah, you don't know how that will spill over, what the knock-on effects will be, as you were just describing. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky question. It's a tricky thing. And I think, uh, yeah, being dismissive about it would be, yeah, would be uh, it's a, very interesting, a thing I would not recommend. Very interesting data point for... Um, what percentage of, you know, something is something else. And so I've seen this statistic going around that uh, you may have seen it as well, that uh, the German economy uh, takes $20 billion in natural gas and turns that into $2 trillion worth of productive output. So what percentage is natural gas to the whole thing? Well, you could say that's uh, that 1%. Um, but is that really 1%? What if you turn off that natural gas? Well, we're doing, we're conducting that experiment live right now in the German laboratory. You turn that off, you find out it's not actually 1%. It's in a way it's 100%. Right. And so, exactly. uh, you know, call that statistical anomaly, call that statistical methods, you know, problems. Um, but uh, I think these things are much more significant than proportion. The same thing we see in uh, California um, huge food producing region in California's Central Valley. Um, and I've seen so many people, you know, the environmentalists are against irrigation, you know, pumping water for, for farming. And they say it's only, you know, it's a similar thing. It's only 1% or 2% of California's economy. How important is it? Well, if you turn off all that food production, you're going to find out just how important it was after you've destroyed it. And um, I think the same thing, uh, you know, and, and of course, people say, well, Keith, are you saying that we should keep feeding the zombies? No, I'm not saying that. Um, so, you, so you may appreciate this as a, as a, I presume, a native speaker of German. I gave a talk in uh, Vienna a couple of months ago, and the title of the talk was Zutzfang, uh, that they're in this, you know, the, about the fat in the ECB, they're in this position, and either move they want to make, they lose. There is no winning move. You know, absolutely. If, yeah. If they were cutting interest rates, we could talk about the pathologies and the damage and the harm they're inflicting and everything else. If they're hiking rates, we can talk about a different set of pathologies and a different set of harms. Either way, you know. Yeah, I don't want to be in the seat of Jerome Powell right now. Absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think this is a great way to kind of keep uh, these 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 great researchers always, you know, employed. Because if we lower the interest rate, there's more zombies. So we got to discuss, you know, oh my God, look, the growing horde of zombies. But if we start rising rates, then, oh my gosh, we're going to destroy these, these zombies. It's going to have an effect on the economy. So it, it sounds like your, your job prospects in the future are, are pretty well secured. Um, Keith, I, I have a quick question for you. So we talk about the Fed as the kind of politicization of credit. Um, do you think there's a hypothetical scenario where in a free market with kind of this open credit um, that you could have zombie companies or is it just only this kind of weird symptom of the central late stage central banking uh, that we're in? You know, the only thing I can say is imagine that there's no such thing as a bailout. There's no such thing as a government sponsored, sponsored enterprise that would um, guarantee a loan 
there's no such thing as a central bank lender of last resort. You know, if you if you lend your money, you lend your gold. I, I want to put it in that context for a minute. You lend your gold to somebody. The only way you're going to get it back is that somebody repays it. Would you lend your gold to a company who's proven that its profits are less than its interest expense? I don't think that would be happening. Um, uh, you know, people tend to be uh, conservative when it comes to, you know, Milton Friedman talks about this, and I'm no fan of Milton Friedman, but he, he's talking about it in the context of spending, but the same thing would be true in lending. You get a completely different kind of, I think he used the word efficiency, when somebody is making a decision to spend, or in this case, lend his own money, versus a disinterested uh, bureaucrat making a decision to spend somebody else's money on someone else, or in this case, lend party A's money to party B, if it's a bureaucrat making that decision, then how much does he really care about the long-term, you know, damaging effects of that relative to the short-term, you know, boot, political boost to his career? And, um, you know, Max referred to that earlier, you know, in the conversation as well. So I, I don't think this would exist in a free market. I think this is entirely on them. Of course, capitalism would be blamed in the end. Uh, capitalism fault. Greed caused 2008. Greed is going to cause whatever, you know, 2022 or 2023, whenever the big blow up is. Oh, that was greed. That was banksters. That was this. That was that. You, if you forgot inflation is right now being caused, of course, by the greedy corporation. Corporate greed. That's right. That's right. Well, okay, Max, Keith, uh, we're, we're kind of heading towards the end here. I want to ask both of you a question. So let's put the numbers at 6% of zombification in the US. Do you think, let's start with Max, that that number is going to increase in the next five years or it is gonna decrease in the next five years? So I presume that the, the Federal Reserve will stick to its goal until the job is done, as Jean Paul said, uh, will keep raising rates. And I think that will drive many, many firms out of business. Um, it will also discipline banks even more to be cautious to whom to lend. So this relationship lending, I think, and evergreening will also um, decline. So I think um, there will be less zombies flying around, even though more firms might get below the threshold, or, or yeah, might get below the threshold of the definition now in that sense. But um, I think overall, let's say after, um, if a recession occurs or if the banana occurs and we go out of it, um, I think there will be less zombies flying around afterwards. And in the end, it will be much more uh, beneficial for overall growth and productivity. Um, that's just my take. Um, some people might say, yeah, that guy's crazy, got it all wrong. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I would be happy for, in for a discussion about that. And probably Keith now destroys me like right away. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Keith, you're up, get, get the zombies flying. Not destroyed, but I just, I'm, I'm less optimistic. Um, for starters, I think higher wage drag, a disproportionate number of companies under, uh, you know, margins are pretty thin, so it doesn't take that big a rise in rates to drag a lot more companies in. And then secondly, I think, and this is, this is not economics, this is political now. And I always say in my economic writings that I don't really know what the politicians are going to do next. I don't think anybody else does either, but I certainly don't. But this is a political calculus. Is Jay Powell going to continue to stay the course or is he going to flinch? And um, as you were saying that, Max, about um, he said he's going to stay the course and do whatever it takes until the job is done. That really reminds me of Swiss National Bank Governor Thomas Jordan 
um, as early as, I'm sorry, as late as he gave a speech in uh, December 2014, and I believe another one in early January 2015, in which he promised this was his commitment to the peg of the front of the euro, uh, you know, to, to do whatever it takes. They have unlimited resources. They have a printing press. They can do it. Two weeks later, the peg snaps so violently, he loses 20% of Swiss annual GDP in a millisecond. Um, I, I, again, this is a political prediction, and I'm not, I'm not a political pundit. I, I don't really know anything about how politicians are going to make their next move. But my gut is that Powell is going to find the pressures uh, overwhelming, um, or, or you know he gets replaced. Um, you know we have a new. You know it, it's one of those things like either you do what we need, or we'll just find somebody else who will. Um, and you know is that a violation of the law? Yeah, probably. You know, but I, I don't think they're going to let a, a silly little thing like a law stand in the way of. Uh, you know, political objective. Right now, po politically, it's them to do what they're doing. But when that changes, you know, all bets are off. So it Just seems we've yeah. got we've got the the optimists maybe in one corner and uh, the <laughs> the smiling cynic in the other. So uh, Max, before we end here, where can people find more of your research? Obviously, you're you're getting the Nobel Prize, so everyone's going to know about you soon. But uh, where where can people find your research? And what do you think of researching next before we head out here? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, well, um, people can find more about my research on my on my webpage. So Maximilian Goebel, like oe.com. And um, yeah, there's various kinds of stuff up there. I think, I think um, so I'm interested in, in, in many different things. Um, recently, mostly in machine learning, actually, I think it's a very exciting topic. I'm not really proficient, but I'm just fascinated by the stuff that is possible with uh, um, working with uh, that machinery, let's say, uh, with these statistical tools, very fascinating. And in terms of what I'm gonna do next or what I intend to do next, well, um, try to incorporate machine learning here a bit into the research probably, but especially like, um, what also some economists at the Fed has, have suggested to us to look into potential spillovers and knock-on effects um, that are occurring, how the input-output dynamics basically play a role here in simplification. Suppliers, uh, supply and demand, like, um, or which are the suppliers of zombies, which are then those that need zombies as suppliers and all that downstream, upward, um, upstream. Uh, dynamics here. I think this is really crucial to, in the end, get get a sense what zombification or zombie landing is really, um, if it's really hurting the economy, what the effect is, and that will be next on the agenda. But yeah, maybe something else is coming up next week and I'll change my mind completely and go into another direction. But I think this is probably the nat natural following up, yeah. All right, well, Max, thanks so much for coming on, obviously, with the uh the rise of the zombies we're gonna to have to have you back to see if the optimists or the pessimists won and uh thanks again for coming on thanks for having me guys really nice it was a pleasure this episode was brought to you by monetary metals monetary metals is a different kind of gold company others buy and sell gold monetary metals operates the gold yield marketplace a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions and our gold financing simplified, reliable financing 
denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time. Ha 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 